past few weeks, we have been thinking about the obedience and how at the heart of Christ's mission, he came down and he died on the cross. The obedience is essential and central to his mission. So no obedience of Christ, no cross, no salvation. And because Christ is the second and the last Adam who came to reverse the course of the sin, us, we are Christians who are united to that obedient and humble Christ. So we must show forth our Christian character that conforms to our Master Christ. So if our Master is obedient, Son of God, we should be obedient. And obedience is not works righteousness. Even as we have read from justification part today, it is nothing that we do, but after salvation. After salvation, now you have a new creation, new heart. You are a new creature. And that enables our attitude toward the law or the commandments of God and we say we will obey. We will gladly obey as the Holy Spirit helps us obey. That's, that has been past few weeks' point. Last week, we talked about how we should see the world through the lens of the Bible. As if you put these goggles on and you see the virtual reality, you must put the Word of God upon your head and see the world through the lens of the Bible, and that will reveal the true reality. And we will never reverse it. Today, I don't know, I, this is a long and a hard talk that I'm going to give. It's a sermon, but it is more like a talk, and I do think it's necessary. And it's been leading up to this topic. And I, I wanted to do this for another few weeks, but July is around the corner, and I wanted to do the Westminster Confession in July. So I will have to pack everything in, and I do not expect the new Christians to understand this. But I will do my best. So open your ears to try to listen. This is a crucial, crucial thing for a Christian to understand. And what I am going to talk about today is already and not yet. I don't know how many of you have heard about that phrase. It's already, but not yet. I remember using that phrase often here too. I've never heard that phrase in my entire Christian life from the pulpit. I've never heard it, at least in my Korean church upbringing. Never ever heard anything like that. And even as we speak about already and not yet, we do not explain it. So often it becomes a Christian jargon or a cliche. You just hear it and dismiss it. It sounds very simple, but what I'm about to tell you, I will tell you, this is one of the most profound truths of the Bible summarized in a couple of words. Already and not yet. Please listen. I am going to talk about three theologians from whom I have gotten these summaries, and I will do my best to try to explain it. And at the end, we will look at some of the verses 
and give you some of the applications. But let me begin with someone named John Frame. He's still alive. He was at Westminster, but now he teaches at RTS Orlando. John Frame. He says, when you read the Bible, at every stage of redemption, there is looking back in the history of what God has done, which prompts people of God to look forward to the future salvation. Isn't that true? So when you read the Old Testament, what is the biggest salvation that God rendered to the Israelites? Reference point. It's always the Exodus event. So if you will go back and read many of the prophets, you will find God telling them, reminding them, you remember what I did for you? Exodus. Look back and look at yourself, how you are behaving. Your hearts are far away from me. Your lips honor me, but your hearts are far away from me. And therefore, look forward to the Messiah who's coming. So it's true. At every stage, already and not yet, is there. Not hard enough, right? We, we got the basics. But John Frame gives us something that not many people talk about. That is, when we talk about already and not yet, what are we talking about? He is talking about, he gives us, actually we are talking about two ages. Oftentimes we talk about already not yet as salvation. My salvation here, but not fully yet. That's correct. We are going to come back to that. But the bigger frame that he offers to us is that actually what we are talking about is that there are two ages that the Bible talks about. Listen to a couple of verses. Jesus speaks in this way. Whoever speaks a word against the Son of Man, it shall be forgiven him. But whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit, what happens to them? It shall not be forgiven him, either in this age or in the age to come. Jesus talks about two ages. He does not say afterlife, this life and afterlife. But in Jesus' view, there are two ages, this age and the other age that is coming. That's Jesus' view. What about Paul, Apostle Paul? Ephesians 1.21 Far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. So I want you to notice, this is not something that theologians are developing. Already Jesus says there are two ages, this age and the ages to, the age to come. Apostle Paul says the same thing. This, not only this age, but also in the one to come. So... From John Frame, master theologian, we learn when we talk about already and not yet, we must have a bigger frame of work of God in view that this age and the age to come. This age is defined and characterized by sin and curse, and they continue until Jesus' second coming. So that's this age. Age to come is the age of fulfillment. 
And obviously, we are awaiting for Christ's return. So that's the age that is coming, the age of fulfillment. So we are living in 2023. How, how does the Bible look at 2023? Is this, well, it's 2,000 years after Christ, and we don't know when Christ will return. Will he return in 83,000, 4,000? 5,000, we don't know. So we have uh, this idea as Christians, we are far away from the cross, and we are sure we are nearing the second coming, but what, are, what, what age are we living in? The Bible's language is this, upon whom, that's us, the ends of the ages have arrived, or at the consummation of the ages. So according to the Bible, we are living at the end of the ages or the in end times. And what's crucial about these two ages is that the resurrection of Jesus is the crucial sign that the last days are here. It's not the Armageddon that we are waiting for and we finally see, wow, we are at the end. But the Christ's resurrection brought in the end to present times, 2,000 years ago already. And one of the examples that John Frame gives is how Martha says, my brother Lazarus is dead. He will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. And Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life, and he brings him out. So that tells us what the last days are already here when Jesus could raise that Lazarus that was supposed to happen at the end of the ages. It makes sense? When everything's up and everything closes down, the dead will rise. But Jesus brings the last day to that day when he raised a Lazarus out of his tomb. So that's how we know that the end has already come. Now, second person that I want to talk to you is Harman Ritterboss. You don't have to know, but for some people who know, who, who know this, that's why I'm saying these names. Harman Ritterboss. He also talks about two ages, but his interpretation of it is very Christ-centered. Listen to this. Galatians 4.4 4 says this. When the fullness of the time came, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law. The fullness of the time came when Christ came, correct? So it's not simply resurrection, though it is the turning point. So when Christ came, Bible says the fullness of time came. And that fullness of time should be interpreted as the end times of fulfillment has come. This is the last days. When? Not 83,000, but when Jesus came, that's the fullness of the time. And God sent his son. Last week, we referenced 2 Corinthians 5, 17. It says this. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, what did it say? He is a new creation. Not new creature only 
but new creation. The old things have passed away. Behold, new things have come. And commenting on this, Rita Boss says this, that verse is not merely talking about individual sense, as if now I'm a new man. I'm a new, new creation in the sense that I was a drunkard. I was an addict. But when I believed in Jesus, I'm a new creation. I'm a new person. That's true. But he says you have to have a bigger view of what the Bible says about the old things have passed away and new things have come or arrived. And one should, he says this, one should think of the new world of the recreation that God has made to dawn in Christ and in which everyone who is in Christ is included. So 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, If anyone is in Christ, new creation, I'm a new man, we are new creation, but you look up and see that we now belong to the new age in Christ that is supposed to come at the end times but is already here because of Christ's resurrection. Make sense? So it's more than I'm a new man. I'm a new creation. That my old self has died. And now new person, now I put on. That's true. But have a bigger worldview according to that view. Recreation. Now we Christians live in a new age. In order for us to understand that, we have to put on the goggle of the Bible. So, he says this, the old things stand for the unredeemed world in its distress and sin. The new things for the time of salvation and the recreation that have dawned with Christ's resurrection. But he says this, Apostle Paul doesn't really look at the world in two different ages. He does, but that's not the main focus of Apostle Paul. But he says this, Paul was a preacher of Jesus Christ who has come and is yet to come. So from John Frame, the guy, when we talk about already and not yet, we should have two ages in perspective. From Rita Boss, what we learn is we are not so much concerned about two ages, though that's true, 2 Corinthians 5.17. But he says, as Apostle Paul's main concern was for Christ who has already come and who is yet to come again, that is the defining character of the two ages, already and not yet. Make sense? It's complementing. It's not simply abstract ages, this age and next age. But really it is tied to Christ. That's why Apostle Paul preaches Christ, because Christ ushered in the next age already 2,000 years ago when he was raised from the dead. So what does that mean? He says this, he says this, Christ who came and he is yet to come again. And this is me speaking. In Christ, salvation is here and yet to be fully realized again 
Because our salvation is tied to whom? Our salvation is tied to Christ. So as much as Christ came and accomplished 100% of his mission, our salvation is secure, 100%. But as much as he's not here yet, we don't see him, he will return. Our salvation is tied to that future of Christ's return as the full fulfillment. So already and not yet two ages, already and not yet tied to Christ. That's why Bible says Christ is the firstborn, the first fruit, or the beginning, which happened 2,000 years ago. So by implication, all of us who are in Christ, we are also first fruits, first beginning, firstborn in Christ. That is supposed to happen at the end. But Christ already has that for us. Why is resurrection so important and turning point of the two ages? Simple as this. Because the present age has lost its power and hold on the children of Adam and that the new things have come. Isn't that true? Christ came. But really it is the resurrection. What's resurrection? Isn't it the death of death? When he was raised, it declared death has no power. So this first age, the present age that is marked with wickedness and sin that we see and we live in that age, has lost power when our Savior was raised. It's 100%. So that's the turning point. What's the turning point of two ages? It's Christ, but narrowly speaking, when he was raised. And what happened to us? When we believe in Christ, we are baptized in union with his death, and we are raised with him in Romans 6. So what Christ went through 2,000 years ago, we go through as we believe in Christ, because somehow Holy Spirit unites us to Christ's experience. That's mystery. But that's what happens. It's not simply you believe in Jesus, God will put you into heaven. But actually the Bible says, no, what happens is when you believe, Holy Spirit unites you mysteriously to Christ's event. He died and he rose again. You and I, we go through the same thing somehow through the operation of the Holy Spirit. That's what happens to us. So where are we? We live in 2023, but we are already living in the end of the ages. That's why we are not so concerned about the Armageddon, like David Jeremiah. You know David Jeremiah, a famous preacher. He spoke at Charles Stanley's funeral, David Jeremiah. If you look at his books, they are so concerned about the end time. Israel and Russia. Geopolitical events, they are just obsessed. The technical term that we use to describe them are dispensationalists. And there are quite a lot of them, famous people. For them, really the end times, you have to see the world events. So what's happening in Russia is always 
always, they always talk about Russia, now China. But Middle East, they always look at to see, is this the end? Is this the end? Is this the end for us? I mean, an end has already come in Christ. So if you would look at those, that diagram at the uh, end of the topic, that would tell you something about what we are talking about. But I want you to look at the Bible passages. So we looked at John Frame, Two Ages. We looked at Rita Boss, Christ-centered. It's about Christ. But the third person that I want you to read is this guy, Professor David Briones. He was my advisor too. But he sadly, he has moved to Westminster, California from Westminster, Philly, starting July. But he applies the already and not yet to these aspects of our salvation. And it will make most sense as you read this. So turn there to our text that I've given you. This is from his own post at desiringgod.com. Very fulsome treatment of already and not yet. But first look at it. According to scripture, believers are already adopted in Christ, but not yet adopted. And it is very helpful because we are looking at the same book, Bible, Romans, Romans 8. Romans 8, 15 says, For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received, that's already in the past, you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. But if you read a few verses down to same chapter, same book, verse 23, it says, Not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly, as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. So this is very, very helpful. The same topic is talked about in the same book, same chapter, as already adopted in the past sense, but we wait for the adoption already and not yet. And we wait for not yet because of already what had happened to our adoption. Next topic is redemption. Same book. Ephesians 1, 7 says, In Him we have redemption. But Ephesians 4.30 says, We are sealed for the day of redemption, yet to happen fully. Next one is sanctification. Now it's two different books. 1 Corinthians says, To those sanctified in Christ Jesus in the past sense. Already we are sanctified. But in another passage in 1 Thessalonians, now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. In one place we are sanctified people, but in another place we must be sanctified by God already, but not yet fully. Another topic, salvation. Ephesians 2a says, For by grace you have been saved, 100%. You and I, we are already saved, period. 
But Romans 5, 5, 9 says, Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. Resurrection. Ephesians 2.6 says, And raised us up with him. Already. We have resurrection. When? I'm here. But spiritually we are resurrected already. But we'll be raised imperishable and we shall be changed according to 1 Corinthians 15. That really is it. Uh, Briones ends that article in this way. We live in a theological tension. By faith in Christ, all of these spiritual blessings are ours already. But the full enjoyment of these blessings is not yet ours. This is the life of faith, the assurance of things hoped for in the future and the conviction of things not seen in the present. This is life between the times. So, let me summarize before I give you applications. And in the application, you will understand why this is important. First of all, Jesus talked about two eons or ages. Apostle Paul talks about two ages. That's what we learned from John Frame. Two ages. When you come to read a boss, two ages, yes, but you make it a focus to see Christ. It's about Christ. Christ who came and is to come. And we are called in between the times. And Briones taught us our salvation in many different aspects could be explained from the Bible that as in two two distinct categories as already, but not yet. Very helpful, those passages. To see our salvation is already secure, but not yet fully realized. So that's the summary of all these things that we talked about, and I'm, I'm sure you, you understand what we are talking about. Now, what are the, some of the practical benefits, applications, and suggestions? Why is this already and not yet important? First of all, This framework arises within the scripture itself. It's not something that you learn from the seminary. It's not something that you learn from these theologians. If you are a Bible-believing Christian, that really doesn't mean anything unless you read the Bible on your own. If you are reading the Bible, like when we look at these passages like Romans 8, you are going to scratch your head. And think about, whoa, wait, wait, this is adoption. In verse 15, it talked about we are already adopted, but later it says we are waiting for adoption. What does that mean? You see, this comes from the Bible itself. The already and not yet arises from the Bible reading itself. This is a very important point. It's not something that we invented to explain things away. One time I remember a young man that I was talking to. He had a lot of questions. 
He was raised in the church, but he just had a lot of questions, and I was trying to answer him as much as I can. And at the end, he said this, Pastor Sam, it looks like, it seems like, you, but he was referring to the Christianity, Bible-believing Christian, you guys have all the answers figured out to answer my questions. So to him, all the answers that I tried to give him sounded artificial, man-made. Oh, so when I ask this question, you have already this made-up answer that, that you just throw it out. Though that was my, not my intention, that man saw all this apologetics to try to answer him as some kind of artificial way to answer his genuine questions. So this already and not yet, if there's one thing that I want you to know is this, that the Bible talks about it. When you read Bible carefully, you will be asking these questions. What does that mean? I'm justified, but fully justified. Salvation, resurrection, all these things are talked about in the past sense and also in the future sense. And you will conclude, okay, then what it means? We synthesize and we make a conclusion that we live in this age as already and not yet. That's very important first point that this arises within the Bible, like Trinity. Second point is this. Already and not yet is very, very important for Christians because it has something to do with your assurance of salvation. Our salvation is founded upon the infallible Bible, Bible's declaration divine truth. When God declares you that your sins are forgiven, even if you don't feel like it, even if you don't see yourself like it, you believe. That's what we were talking about last week. I've talked about this a couple of times, but this happens all the time in Christian camps. Uh, when Billy Graham came 2000 four, five, in Flushing the Meadows Park, Corona Park, I took my entire youth group to that event. I remember Bill Clinton came, and he was sitting on the stage, on the platform. And we just wanted to see Billy Graham's last crusade. So thousands and thousands of people came, went to that event, and Billy Graham, by the time he was already very old, and he spoke, really, 15 minutes, 20 minutes? We thought that was too short. Too short. And Billy Graham preached, and as usual, what does he do? He invited people to come to the front. And there are counselors, everybody, just waiting for people to walk up to them, pray with them, for them, explain the gospel, and so on. But it is not simply the non-believers that he was inviting. He would also invite those people who have fallen away from Christianity, those people who really haven't kept up, things like that. So, if I remember, almost all of my youth group kids ran to the front. So I was, I was telling them, stop, don't go. It's like rededication and rebelieving. Oh, why would my youth group students, why would they go forward? 
Because they are sinners, just like you and me. We professed our faith in Christ, but we sin. So when there's someone who says, you see, you haven't really believed because you are still sinning. You haven't really repented because you are still sinning. It immediately creates doubt. It casts doubt in your salvation. Even at the time, I was too young. Too young to explain that. That what you need is not so much a rededication or re-belief. You cannot re-believe Jesus. But really, it's about sanctification issue. So this already and not yet is important in that you understand, people, that your salvation is secure. It's done. There's nothing that you could add or subtract from it. Why? Because from the beginning, your salvation is not by your evangelical obedience, as we have read it. It is by Christ's righteousness imputed to us. So when you believe, even though you may not realize it, you may not understand it, you are perfectly righteous. My youth group students, they did not have to go forward because what they possessed when they believed is Christ's resurrection that they possess. But you sin. And how are we going to make sense of that is through already and not yet. Another example is this. When I became a Christian, we did a lot of small group Bible studies. And I belonged to one Bible study group. I remember we were meeting in our leader's kitchen. And like four of us, five of us, we were, we were sitting down waiting for the Bible study leader to come. And he came a little late, but as he walked in, I saw him, his face really reddish, and I was sure that he cried a bit. And he was a big guy, huge guy. He walked in, and before he sat down, he told us, like for a few of us, and he said this, something like this, you know, I want to be your Bible study leader, but when I look at my life, I just think I'm a hypocrite. So I quit, he said. I cannot lead this Bible study group because even though I'm a teacher, when I look at myself honestly, I am not qualified to teach you. I'm a sinner, so I I just have to quit. I don't remember what happened afterwards. I don't remember if he kept on teaching, whatever, but I knew sitting down, I I was a recent convert. But I was reading the Bible. Man, I didn't know what to say. I was too young. I didn't know much of the Bible. I didn't know what to say to him. But in my heart, I knew he was wrong. In that, I was thinking, nobody's perfect. And if you think you're a hypocrite, if you think something is holding you back, then you simply probably have to repent. And you just have to do your thing. That's what I was thinking. But I didn't know what to say, how to put it. He was older than me. He was one of the leaders and whatever. You see, it happens all the time to my youth group students, to that Bible study leader, and some of you 
may be thinking, you know, all of this talk about salvation, that's all good. But it seems like I'm trapped in this sinful lifestyle that I just cannot, I just cannot stand this. I'm a hypocrite, so I quit. Now, the Bible never says it's okay to sin. The Bible never says that. But it does acknowledge that you and I, we are living in this two-age scheme. We have our salvation already perfectly, but because it is not yet, we still live in this sin-cursed, fallen world with fallen body and nature. Though it is 100% redeemed, you and I will sin. Again, it's not to condone, but it also realistically acknowledges where we are as Christians. And already and not yet framework will save us from despairing and it will encourage us to live our life of faith to the end. Already not yet. It's not so much that I'm a biggest hypocrite. Then who will be able to stand and serve? None of us will be. But we are working out what we have already in Christ. Amen? And you understand that? A few more. Already and not yet helps us to see the current world events. Ukraine. Taiwan. BLM. Streets burning from Auckland to Ukraine. And where is God, we say. But we know already and not yet. Faith scheme teaches us that Christ is in control. Next one is the church. Salvation is already and not yet, right? Correct? Bible says so. Then... Church is also already and not yet. Why is this important? Because people will say, church is full of hypocrites. I've been burnt by that Christian in that church, and I will not go back to a local church. I have enough problems. Church adds onto it. Probably you have heard that kind of complaints. Why do we acknowledge that we are sinners and we say, I am sorry to hear that. But at the same time, already and not yet, framework will give us an answer. Just as much as you and I are not perfect and are waiting for the fulfillment, church is, what is church? But the aggregation of all the saints. So when saints are not already, are in already and not yet, the church will obviously be in that framework as well, because we represent the church. So when you understand already and not yet, in the already part, you will be thankful for the people around you. Weak and sinful people like us will still come and to worship God and serve alongside each other and serve God's kingdom. Not yet, that will teach you to be more patient. And when you see some of the real hypocrites in the church, you don't hate them, you don't curse them, but 
Our hearts are broken that even though they are professing Christians, they act like that. They talk like that. And you look at yourself and say, well, I am probably like them too. So, in that scheme, we are more patient and we are more hopeful about the church. The last thing that I want to mention is, one thing that will bring in and usher in those already and not yet, but already blessing to the unbelieving people is the gospel proclamation. So this already and not yet doesn't only talk about our struggles here, but it mandates our evangelism and missions because God has given us the keys of the kingdom of heaven to the church and that is tied to the gospel sharing. For me, preaching or sharing in person, so that's how already blessing comes to the non-believing world through the gospel key that God as Christ has entrusted to his kingdom, that is, the church. So, when Christ returns, when finally Revelation 20, 21 happens, then that's the time there will be no more already and not yet, but forever. Forever in Christ, no more tears, no more agony, no more sea, but God will be our God, we will be His people, and we will be forever in His presence, forever and forever and forever. That's why Revelation is full of that phrase, forever. No more already, no more not yet, because that has become one, and the old has passed away, and new has come truly. New heavens, new earth. So we say even now, today, in 2023, the last verse of that revelation, Jesus says, I am coming quickly. And the church says, Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Because that's where our hope is. We want him to return quickly to crush our foes once and for all and take us into his presence forever. That's where we'll be. And that's our Christian hope. Let's pray.